look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, the pandemic version of the Peter King Podcast. So in many ways, I think we all are looking for something to take us away from the news of the day. And over the next 50, 60 minutes, I hope I'm able to do that. But before we do, first of all, I'll tell you who our guests are this week. We got Matt Ryan, the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons, who has done some very good things in his community to help workers, particularly uh, some of the restaurant workers who've been laid off uh, in greater Atlanta. So we'll talk to Matt about that and um, just about life in general in these very strange days. And then I'll have Greg Cosell, the longtime NFL Films analyst. He's also a guest on the NFL Matchup Show, or rather a host on the NFL Matchup Show. And I say this, with in a great and admiring way. When I want to find out an unvarnished real opinion about a player either eligible for the draft or uh, one of the 1,600 players in the NFL, uh, Greg Costell absolutely unequivocally is an authority who I respect every word that he says. So I'm happy to have him on this week because really the draft as you listen to this, hopefully on April 1st, Wednesday, April 1st, the draft is 21 days away. And so 22 days away, excuse me. And I think one of the things that I have not done well at all so far this year is really start to get into the meat and potatoes of the draft, which I'm going to be doing this week in Football Morning in America and in the next two weeks as well. So those are going to be our guests. I thought I would start uh, just briefly in the podcast this week, telling you just a little bit about what is going on around the NFL and planning for future events. I'm going to talk about three things. I'm going to talk about the draft. I'm going to talk about the off-season program. And I'm going to talk about the regular season. And I'm going to tell you everything that I know. Some of this comes from a briefing that the NFL on Tuesday afternoon gave to reporters. So there were four people on this briefing conference call. One was Peter O'Reilly, the NFL special events guy. Uh, we talked to him a bit about the draft. One was Jeff Pash, the NFL's legal counsel. The other is Troy Vincent, who's sort of the NFL ops guy having to do with all football. And the other NFL briefer uh, was Brian Rolap, who uh, you know, is the league's broadcast vice president. Uh, and his part of the briefing was about how the NFL is going to fold in uh, the two new playoff games uh, following the 2020 regular season, assuming uh, the 2020 regular season is played. So I I'll tell you a couple of things that, that uh, stuck out to me. Okay. Um, Early on in his discussion on this phone call, Peter O'Reilly was talking about preparations for the draft, and he said, and I quote, planning remains fluid given the state of the pandemic, end quote. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly where we are, not only in football, but in society. <laughs> and so, um, and I don't mean to, to laugh at what's going on, but I think it's very hard to know exactly what's going to happen in the draft when the draft happens. Uh, but as of now, and I feel pretty sure that it will happen on time, the draft is scheduled for Thursday, April 23, round one, uh, rounds two and three on Friday, April 24, and rounds four through seven 
on Saturday, April 25. Um, as of now, you know, I spoke to one general manager today who was saying to me that, look, I'm going to be going out on Wednesday and I'm going to be looking at a couple of sites where we might use for our draft headquarters if our building is not going to be open. And, you know, it's, it's really odd that a general manager of a football team has got to spend his time going out to look at conference rooms, meeting rooms, wherever, you know, in his home area. But that is what it has come to because I wrote about this a little bit Monday in my column. The NFL, I believe, wants to open up the team facilities um, for the teams to go back in, a limited number of people to be able to go back into the draft room and use the tremendous facilities that they have in the draft room. Uh, but Roger Goodell made it very clear in his memo of last week that he is not going to have anyone go into a draft room in a team facility unless all 32 teams have their draft rooms open. And right now, I mean, it's going to be hard, honestly, for the Rams and the Chargers and the 49ers in the state of California right now where the state, in effect, has been shut down. It's going to be very hard in the state of New Jersey, you know, where uh, it, has been, it has been shut down for all non-essential businesses. It's going to be hard in the state of Washington for the Seahawks and in New York with the Buffalo Bills. So, so I, I think we all, and I'm, obviously that's not all of them, but I'm just saying that unless all 32 facilities can be open, no facility will be open. So I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to watch in the next three weeks. Um, a couple of other things. Let's talk about the, uh, the wild card vote, um, which obviously the NFL, uh, the owners voted not only to approve, which was a, a slam dunk, they knew they were going to do it, voted not only to have the extra playoff team per conference. So next year it will be, we all thought it would be this way, but this is exactly the way it's going to be. Next year, in January of 2020, there will be three games on Saturday, basically at 1, 4.40, and 8.15 Eastern time. And then also on Sunday, the exact same times. <clears throat> and there will be, you know, in the future, there might be a Monday night wild card game. A lot of people have strong opinions on that, fair or unfair, whatever. Um, but there, that may happen in the future. But for this year, it would be three Saturday and three on Sunday. The, the NFL had to vote on this and got it approved. One of the Sunday games is going to be on CBS late afternoon, 4.40 p.m. But the interesting thing about that is not just CBS has that game, but CBS is going to partner with Nickelodeon. And they're going to have a broadcast team that will do the game with an eye on showing it to children and young adults, very young adults. So I'm sure that that'll be, I shouldn't say I'm sure, but it probably is going to be a, you know, a Tony Romo, Jim Nance game. But in addition, uh, I have no idea what the broadcast team will be, but uh, they're going to have a separate broadcast of that game uh, that'll be shown on Nickelodeon and that'll be a kid's NFL game. I think that's really interesting. It's a cool idea. <clears throat> and we'll see how it works. And NBC has got the late game on Sunday. So uh, just like they have the Sunday night game every week, they'll also have the Sunday night game on Wild Card Weekend. So uh, obviously you'll see the NBC team as usual, but also you, you'll see uh, for uh, Spanish language fans, it'll also be on Telemundo. And the game will also be streamed on uh, Peacock, which is uh, basically NBC's new streaming service that the NFL is highly interested in exploring. And not just on Peacock, but on other uh, streaming services in the new television contract. Um, so, and as far as, so we, that takes care of the, the, the television and the new, um, uh, the new schedule uh, for Wild Card Weekend. Let's go back to one thing and talk about what may happen on draft weekend. 
I wrote a little bit about this in Football Morning in America uh, on Monday. And I wrote about how, uh, what I have heard, and I've heard it's a, it's a worst case scenario, but in my opinion, it sounds like the best case scenario. Roger Goodell could well host this draft and introduce the picks, announce the picks from his home in Bronxville, New York. That's in Westchester County, about 15, 20 minutes, miles, I'm sorry, north of NFL offices. But, you know, with the uncertainty of what's going to be open and the fact that NFL films in New Jersey almost certainly won't be open and that NFL headquarters in Los Angeles also will not be open. Look, there's a lot of people around the league. Rich Eisen mentioned this to me, and, it, and it's been echoed to me in some text messages in the last couple of days that it's, it would be a great message to send to the United States and to NFL fans. Look, Roger Goodell is sheltering in place on one of the biggest nights of the NFL year. So that's possible, but it's also possible that, uh, that ESPN, which is in central Connecticut, could be open on a limited basis. So all of that, um, you just really don't know right now. Um, most of the uh, uh, people on the, uh, on the uh, uh, call, on the conference call, were very careful consistently in saying that, and I'll paraphrase, we just don't know. We don't know about this. We don't know about that. They're optimistic that the season will be played in full, but how can anybody know that? So I think that is a good way to look at things right now. You just got to take it day by day. You know, as Jeff Pash, the longtime legal eagle for the NFL said, uh, you know, am I certain we're going to play a full season? I'm not certain if I'll be here tomorrow, but I'm planning on it. And I am planning on a full season. So I think the, the one other thing, I think the one other thing that I wanted to sort of emphasize, and everybody said, man, how are teams going to do without practice? What are they going to do? And I'm reminded of what one general manager said to me over the weekend when I was talking to him about the off-season program and what it would be like. Because the off-season program essentially is about teaching a lot of new players your playbook and what you're going to do when you get on the field in September. So. I very much could see this, that, you know, let's say the, the uh, coach of the San Francisco 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, is going to have his first team meeting, uh, you know, of the offseason after the draft. And I don't even know if Zoom video conferencing can, can uh, have 80 people on it. But, you know, they'll find some way for Kyle Shanahan to be able to speak via Zoom or some way so that everybody will be able to get that message from him. And then Robert Sala will talk about installing the new defense or the defense to the new players. And, and so I think that is what the off-season program is going to look like. Um, I don't expect teams to be able to gather much, if at all. Um, I wouldn't expect them to get, be able to gather much, if at all, before training camp and maybe not even at training camp. But Anyway, we, as we all know right now, this is a new normal, and everybody's just got to be willing to adjust. And, you know, it doesn't do any, anybody any good to complain about it. And so life goes on, and we will attempt to get on with this podcast. And right now, I'm going to take you to my conversation with Atlanta Falcons quarterback, Matt Ryan. One of the reasons why I wanted to talk to Matt today is that I've really been impressed by a lot of guys around the league and what they've done charitably. Obviously, Drew Brees with the, with the headline act of giving $5 million to so many needy causes in, in New Orleans, but, but also so many players. Kyle Rudolph uh, giving $82,000 to buy meals uh, you know, for kids and their families uh, in the Twin Cities. Um, Jared Goff and Andrew Whitworth uh, you know, basically buying a million meals to, distrib to distribute to school children in and around Los Angeles now that they don't go and get their meals at school because obviously school is not there. Uh, Matt Ryan, uh, in addition, uh, 
basically has given $50,000 to the Atlanta Community Food Bank and $50,000 to Giving Kitchen, which among other things, will help quarantine food service workers get meals. And uh, so Matt, one of the, that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. I think it's really cool the way so many players, and I, have, and I have mentioned only a fraction of them, so many players have sort of stepped up at a time in this country where, I mean, nobody really knows how this thing is gonna end. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think um, you mentioned so many guys, and and I know so many more that have done, uh, you know what what we all should be doing if we're in position to be able to help. And um, you know, there's a lot of great causes. I, I think you know everybody's kind of targeted some some causes that are close to uh, to their heart. And uh, for us, my wife and I, you know, we have so many friends here in Atlanta that are in the food industry and that own restaurants or are servers at restaurants and uh, who have been totally affected by, uh, by this virus and the quarantine and the shutdown. And uh, we were just hoping to be able to help them. And uh, we have friends at the Giving Kitchen who do a great job and have done a great job in the past uh, helping service workers that, you know, come across hard times, uh, either get sick or, or for, for various reasons are out of work and they try and help them out. And, uh, we felt like at this time it was important to give there. And then also, uh, you know, with the Atlanta uh, Community Food Bank, uh, you know, so many kids uh, are out of school, uh, are dependent on, on two meals a day, breakfast and lunch, um, you know, at their school. And, and with schools being out and, uh, you know, families, you know, struggling to, to put food on the table, we felt like that was a good avenue to go. And for us, you know, we're not done. You know, we're going to continue to evaluate uh, the situation and, and see, you know, what areas, uh, what additional areas we can we can help in and and try and you know make an impact to help our community. So, Matt, you uh, obviously at this point you you are um, you're sort of into the middle of your off season, but you're not able to do anything now in in your off season. What would you normally be doing in a year, like in March, uh, March and early April of a normal off season? I think that's a time where, you know, typically I'd be, uh, you know, starting to throw maybe twice a week and, uh, you know, getting some younger guys uh, to, you know, to come to work out with me. And so, you know, developmental guys, guys like Russell Gage, um, you know, guys like Christian Blake, who were on our roster last year and played for us uh, in the second half of the season. I think this this time of the year typically is a time where I try and work with those kind of guys uh, and, and, and accelerate their learning curve before we get started back. Uh, that hasn't been the case this year. Uh, you, you know, I think all of us are, are trying to do our part to, uh, you know, social distance and, and stay away and, you know, try and keep everybody as safe as possible. Um, you know, but that's typically what I would be doing and, and I'm not doing that right now. Who would you say are your other teammates, peers, friends, either in or out of football who have done something since the coronavirus really has started to hit hard, um, who you would, you know, say have, have really done things to help people? Well, I mean, you mentioned Drew earlier and, and, and what he and, and Brittany are doing for, for the community uh, in New Orleans is, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, he's been a friend of mine, you know, for, for a long time, obviously a competitor, but, um, you know, he's always been a guy that I've looked up to uh, in, you know, how to, how to handle things. And uh, I think he's, he's done a great job, you know, with that, uh, you know, you look across the league, though, and across sports. I mean, for me, a guy in town in Atlanta, Freddie Freeman, who plays for the Braves, uh, you know, made a commitment of $50,000 to the Atlanta, food, uh, Atlanta Community Food Bank, uh, and as well as an additional $50,000 to the Giving Kitchen. And so, you know, just in our own town, $100,000 going to each of those organizations makes a big impact for a few weeks. Uh, and I thought that was pretty cool of, of him to step up and, and, and match that. 
you're seeing it all across, you know, different avenues of sports. And, um, you know, I think it's a really good thing. I think, you know, unfortunately, sometimes it, it takes crisis to, uh, you know, to bring out the best side of everyone. And, and I think at this time, I, I think you're seeing that. What's been the most difficult part for you, Matt, to, uh, to cope with your, your physical person? You obviously must uh, want to get out and do things and throw and, and, and lift and, and be with other people and all that. What's, what's been difficult for you over the last two, three weeks? I'm very, I'm very fortunate in that in my house, I have a, a good setup to be able to, you know, to lift and uh, to get all the training that I need to get done really outside of, of throwing. And, um, uh, you know, so, so I'm fortunate in that respect. I think, you know, more, more so than anything, I think, you know, people miss the, the, the social aspect of, of, you know, being able to, to connect with people in a restaurant or a bar or, uh, or an event, you know, I think those kind of things, um, are probably, you know, what, what we've missed the most. I think, you know, that's something that my wife and I would like to do. It's a break for us. It's kind of, uh, you know, what, what kind of our date nights and those kind of things keep us going, but, um, you know, but you adjust and you adapt and, and, um, you know, so from that standpoint, it's, it's also given us more time at home for me with, with my sons and, uh, you know, to be able to spend more time with them is, is always a good thing. So you know, I always try and find the silver lining in it, you know, I think every situation, you know, creates some 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 obstacles that you got to adjust to, but they also uh, create some some really cool opportunities. And uh, you know, that's that's been the case for me the last two or three weeks. How how old are your boys now? Two. My boys, yeah, they just turned two in February. Wow. And uh, you know, it's it's really interesting. You talked about that. You know. Jared Goff told me the other day that one of the cool things for him is that, you know, usually an off season can be a little bit frenetic and you're going to do a bunch of things and it isn't so bad to be able just to sit down and maybe play a board game or, you know, with your friends or, or to do something a little quieter rather than, you know, to be out doing things. And I wonder not that you're looking for a silver lining in this horrible thing, but it, has that part of it been good for you? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I find myself reading, uh, you know, more than I normally do, which, you know, to me is a good thing. I think, you know, you have this opportunity where you, you have some more time on your hand uh, and, you know, you might as well take advantage of it. And so I've, you know, been able to, uh, you know, read, read more, which, you know, I'm always looking for ways to try and improve or uh, learn things or just, you know, hear other people's experiences. And uh, that part of this, I think, has been good for me. Um, give me an idea of something you've read that has helped you. Are you a, are you a book reader? Are you an article reader? What, what have you been spending your time reading? I just finished uh, a book, Educated, by uh, Tara Westover. Um, it, it was a really good book, really good book, uh, you know, a, a biography to a certain extent uh, of, of her life and uh, the things that she's overcome to, to get to the position that she's at. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, I, I really enjoyed it. I'd recommend it to anybody who's, who's listening to this to, to go out and check out this book. I, I just finished it uh, probably two days ago. But it's, it's stuff like that, stuff that I normally wouldn't have the opportunity or the time to, to be able to do. And, uh, you know, now with maybe a few extra hours uh, of, of the day at home on hand, uh, that's, that's what I've taken to. What did you take from, uh, from Sarah Westover? What did you, what'd you take out of that book? Yeah, uh, you know, she, it, it's, it's an incredible book. She grew up, uh, uh, you know, never having gone to school uh, in the mountains in Idaho and ended up, uh, you know, graduating for BYU, then going to, uh, you know, going to Cambridge and, and uh, you know, being at Harvard, uh, getting her doctorate there. I mean, she, just an unbelievable uh, road that that she took and I think it goes to show you that 
you know, everybody's path is different. Uh, and, and the things that you deal with, uh, experience uh, along the way are, are what make you you. And uh, I think it, it caused me to maybe reflect uh, a little bit more on, on my path and some of the obstacles that came up that really forged uh, who I was. And, and uh, I enjoyed that aspect of it. I've got two football questions for you, and I'll let you run. Um, you got Todd Gurley on your team now. That's going to be kind of cool. That's very cool. Very cool. I think the people in the state of Georgia are going to love that too. Him coming back here uh, after having played college football here. And uh, he's a special talent. There's no question. And, um, you know, hopefully we can keep him fresh and healthy. And, and uh, because if he is, he's, he's one of the best in the business and, and certainly a good pickup for us. So you lose Austin Hooper. You guys had some some cap difficulties. Obviously, I'm sure you would have liked to have keep to have kept Austin Hooper. What's the biggest uh, What's the biggest issue now with losing him? And how do you think you'll be able to work the pieces to uh, so that that loss doesn't really hurt you a lot? Well, it's obviously you know. Disappointing from a, you know, from a personal standpoint because he was a great teammate, great friend. But you're also very happy for him uh, because he deserves, you know, every penny. He's worked extremely hard. He's been extremely productive. He's going to do a great job in Cleveland. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, our trade for for Hayden Hurst is is uh, is going to benefit us. And um, you know, my hope is that when things calm down uh, in terms of, of social distancing and people having to stay away from each other, uh, we'll have an opportunity to get together and to try and get on the same page as fast as possible uh, because I think he's a talented player that, you know, can really help us. I also think, you know, we have to have some of our young guys like Russell Gage and uh, Alameda Zacchaeus and, uh, you know, we picked up Laquan Treadwell. I think those are guys that uh, we're going to have to see how they fit into the to the scheme for us to create some of that production that we lost with Austin. Did the Tom Brady news surprise you? Uh, you know, it, I guess it, it's, it's always surprising when somebody is with someone for so long, 20 years, to see them in a different place. Uh, you know, but nothing surprises me in this league in terms of the amount of turnover and guys being in different places. Um, you know, once I knew he was gone, I thought there was a good possibility he would end up in Tampa. Wow. Interesting. That'll be fun, though, won't it? To, uh, I mean, you're going you're gonna to have four games a year, at least for this year, against Tom Brady and Drew Brees. I mean, those are things you'll have to put in the Matt Ryan time capsule. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a unique opportunity to play against two of the best players of all time. Uh, and to be able to, you know, compete against them. And, you know, I, I look forward to that opportunity. And, you know, we, we say it all the time, if, if you're going to beat the best, you got to, you know, if you're going to be the best, you got to beat the best. And, uh, you know, certainly those are, are two of the best. So we're going to have our work cut out for us, that's for sure, as a team and, and in division. But uh, we look forward to that challenge and, and look forward to competing against these guys this year. Any reason why Brady going to Tampa didn't surprise you? I just I thought they were it would be a good fit. I mean they've got two great wide receivers, really good tight end. I thought their defense was one of the best defenses we faced all of last year. And uh, you know when you add you know him to the mix, a guy that is is so productive and, and such a great and prolific winner, uh, it made sense to me. Hey, I'll get you out on this, Matt. This I, I've been asking a few guys this this week, but I wonder. How do you avoid going stir crazy, you know, being in the house a lot now? And how difficult has that been for, I assume you're a pretty active person. You're an NFL player. Yeah, it's, that part of it is, uh, is a little tough. You know, you're used to, for me, I'm used to being outdoors all day. And, and luckily where we live in Atlanta, there's space and we've got, you know, plenty of, of space on our property to be able to get outside. We've got a pool. The weather's been great to be able to get in that. So uh, we've, we've been trying to get outside. 
uh, at a safe distance as much as possible uh, to, you know, to keep from, from feeling like we're too cooped up. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky to have, you know, a, a house in a, in a space that, that allows for that. Matt Ryan, uh, really good of you to, uh, to join me this week. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that all of Atlanta thanks you for your generosity at a time of great need. So thanks very much. I appreciate it, Peter. Thank you for having me on. So elsewhere right now on NBCSports.com and wherever you get your podcasts, I'll tell you, Mike Tirico, I feel for him. I really, really feel for him because the Olympics got called um, and he's going to have to lay, have to delay uh, all his Olympics prep uh, until 2021 now. Uh, but Mike Tirico, you know, there's one good thing about the Olympics being put off. Mike Tirico has done a yeoman's job with his podcast. He's got a great conversation with the quarterback slash philanthropist of the New Orleans Saints, Drew Brees. You're really going to like that on the Mike Tirico podcast. Should also listen to the Chris Sims Unbuttoned uh, podcast. You know, last week I promoted how he ranked his quarterbacks. Uh, and this week, how he ranks his quarterbacks are going to be very interesting. You heard Greg Cosell preach the gospel of Jerry Judy from Alabama. Well, he and Chris Sims are on opposite ends of that spectrum. Chris Sims does not think Jeff Judy is in the top five, at least of his receivers. So Chris Sims is not afraid of sticking his neck out there. And in this week's podcast, he does a great job of analyzing the wide receivers and basically being a contrarian. There's nothing wrong with that. So uh, you can also hear Mike Florio's podcast um, and, uh, and listen to mine and also read Football Morning in America. I really, I don't, blow, I don't mean to blow my own horn, but I just really loved some of the people in my column this week. I basically did, you know, what March 30, 2020 is like in the NFL and what everybody around the league was doing. So uh, you'll, uh, you'll read that and uh, hopefully learn a few things from it. And now my conversation with NFL guru and every spring draft guru, Greg Cosell of NFL Films. So happy and fortunate to be joined this week on the podcast uh, by Greg Cosell. Now, for those of you who have seen Greg Cosell uh, on the NFL Matchup show, which is really must-see TV for me every week, uh, Greg Cosell, Matt Bowen, and Sal Palantonio. Um, Greg is also an NFL analyst and senior producer at NFL Films. And to me, if I have a question about the NFL uh, and about how a player is playing, you know, I worked with Andy Benoit uh, at the MMQB for quite a while, but uh, Andy Benoit also learned at the feet of Greg Cosell at NFL Films for so long. And Greg, I'm so I'm so glad you could join me to talk a little bit a little bit of the draft and a little bit of NFL overall. Thank you. Well, Peter, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Hey, so you know, a couple of questions overall about the draft. Okay. So you analyze the draft every year. You don't do the you're not the hot take guy. You're not the mock draft guy. You're not you're not the, hey, I guess this guy, I guess C.D. Lamb is going to the Jets. You basically just look at the players and say, here's what I think in great uh, infinitesimal detail. So a lot of people have looked at this draft, and it's kind of an interesting, almost a unique draft you know, from the people I've talked to because they absolutely love certain positions, no, none more than wide receiver in this draft. And I wonder, as you look at it overall, what do you think of this draft? Well, certainly it had strong with wide receivers. There's no question about that. One area in which it's lacking is edge pass rushers. Although I do think in the NFL, we're seeing a little bit of a move toward the belief that interior pass rushers are very, very valuable. You know, for years, there were four positions that were viewed as absolutely critical in the NFL. Quarterback, obviously. 
left tackle, edge pass rusher, and cornerback. Now, I'm not saying that teams don't want those players. Obviously, they do. But the nature of the game, I think, has changed a little bit. Certainly, the passing game has. There's such an emphasis on the short passing game, the quick passing game, that interior pass rushers have become increasingly valuable. Now, you're certainly not going to find an Aaron Donald in every draft, Peter, as we all know. But I think those kinds of players have become increasingly important. And in this particular draft, there's a good number of interior pass rushers. And I wonder, um, I guess when I look at drafts overall, um, you know, I, I, I'm a sucker because I'm, I'm probably, I'm certainly not a doctor of the draft. And I always try to look at the quarterbacks. And if somebody really right. quarterback, who do they like? And I know that, you know, you, you like all positions, but you are a particular student of the quarterbacks too. I wanted to start there in this draft and, and just ask you a little bit, particularly about Burrow and Tua, how you see them and particularly how do you see their long-term projection? Well, to me, and, and again, I watched Burrow this year. I did not see him in 2018, so I'll be the first to admit that, but I watched him extensively this year. And Tua, I've watched extensively over the last two years. Um, I like Burrow far more than I like Tua. Uh, To me, Burrow has everything you'd look for in an NFL quarterback other than elite arm strength. And then you get into that conversation about what is the value uh, and importance of elite arm strength. But other than that, to me, Burrow has poise, vision, clarity, timing, pocket efficiency, precise ball placement. He moves exceptionally well. He's, he is as good as it gets when you talk about moving both within the pocket comfortably and then outside the pocket with poise and comfort. So to me, Burrow is a very high-level prospect. Uh, Tua, to me, is Uh, And I hate to say this because all quarterbacks to a certain extent are like this. There's very few scheme transcendent quarterbacks. You know, there are very few Patrick Mahomes in terms of pure physical talent. Tua, to me, will be a scheme dependent player. I think he's an efficient executor of a well-schemed passing game. I think he needs to play with timing. He needs to play with rhythm. He needs to be consistently accurate. Uh, I've made the comparison stylistically. I'm not saying he's this player because this player will be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I think stylistically he needs to play like Drew Brees. He's not Russell Wilson. He's not athletically that that good like a Russell Wilson. So I think he needs a well-defined and well-schemed system. And if he's in that kind of system, I think he can be a very efficient player. Um, I've gotten into it the last few days since I've been asking people a little bit more about the draft with the, with the coronavirus stuff. I, I, I really haven't gotten to the draft very much yet. Right. Right. And, and, but I find a wide disparity of opinion on the next two guys on Jordan love from Utah state. And uh, obviously on Justin Herbert from Oregon. Man, they got a lot of people who love them, and they got a lot of people who question them, both of them. Give me your thoughts on each guy and how you see them falling in the pecking order. Well, just to make it simpler for people, I guess, maybe to understand, to me, Justin Herbert is very reminiscent of Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming. I think you're dealing with a big, physical, strong, powerful arm guy who's got excellent movement and mobility. Uh, not quite at Allen's level, but but very good. Um, he's not a timing anticipation thrower, Justin Herbert. He's more of a see-it-throw-it quarterback. He's not what I would call a ball distributor, whereas I think Jordan Love has more ball distributor traits. Uh, now, if you w- watched Love as I did last summer off his 2018 season, he looked like a top-five pick without question. And then obviously this year the, the numbers weren't quite as good. The skill set doesn't change, and that's what I think people sometimes forget. The skill set is the same. He's got size. He's got arm strength. He's got movement. Um, there are some inconsistencies in his game, but I think Jordan Love, to me, 
I, I like him more than Herbert overall. Now, I, I think Love will become very much a function of where he goes and who coaches him. Is it fair to say, safe to say, when you look at the draft, and let's just use, so the Patriots are at 23. Do you believe all four of these quarterbacks either should or will go in the top 23? I believe they will go. Yes, they're quarterbacks. We have this conversation, Peter, you know that every year. With quarterbacks, it's not often about where they are on a team's draft board. It's the position. Just like with running backs, it may not be where they are on draft boards. It's the position. So I think with with those four quarterbacks that we just mentioned, uh, I think that they'll definitely go. And I think the wild card in that group is Jacob Eason because someone can fall in love with Jacob Eason's throwing ability because he's a little bit old school. He's not quite Carson Palmer, but he's sort of in that mold of quarterback. And I think someone, uh, and I don't know whether it's, you know, obviously it may not be Bruce Arians now because he has his quarterback for this year. uh, And I don't think he'd use a first round pick on a quarterback, but someone like a Bruce Arians could easily fall in love with, with a Jacob Eason. You know, it's interesting. I've thought for a while, the Bucks pick uh, at 45 in the second round, Jason Light, uh, I mean, he's not John Schneider in terms of making trades, but Jason Light definitely would move around. And I've thought that that would be a perfect spot if they fell in love with, let's say, Eason or Fromm or somebody like that. I would not be shocked to see the Bucks in the middle of the second round go for a quarterback. I wouldn't either. I don't think Fromm would be their guy. I don't think he fits Bruce Arians at all. Uh, so I think someone like Eason would. And again, whether he's there at 45, I, that I can't speak to. That's not my thing. But uh, uh, but Jacob Eason is someone with a lot of throwing talent. He's a very easy thrower. Uh, I know him a little bit. I, I've seen. I've stood next to him while he's throwing the ball. It just comes out so easily. Does he go in the in the first round, gut feeling? I think, you know, then you have to start looking, and I don't do this as much as others, then you have to start looking at teams um, and what their needs are. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I haven't really gotten to that point and studied it quite that way since I don't necessarily do mock drafts. Mm-hmm. But I think it's very possible a team could. I think the wild card in all this is the Chargers. You know, right now they're saying that they're going with Tyrod Taylor and, and – a lot of things are easy to say, uh, but we'll see what, you know, and there's also two number one pick quarterbacks in, yeah. in Cam Newton and Jameis Winston, who are still sitting out there. I, you know, you've, I, I'm writing things down as you, as you speak. So I'm going to go with them in order. You, you talk about quarterbacks being a fit or not being a fit with Bruce Arians. Um, I've had a conversation with Arians about Brady Uh, about Tom Brady and whether he'd be a fit. And you talk about Bruce Arians turning combustible at that point. And if I could, if I could paraphrase him, look, if I can't, if Tom Brady isn't a fit with me, there's something wrong with me. Correct. (laughs) But uh, tell me how you think Brady fits in that Arians left, which offense. Well, first of all, I think that Bruce Arians is a pretty smart guy and has been doing this for a long time. So I think when you get a Tom Brady, it's like when the Broncos got Peyton Manning. Um, you, you, you take what that quarterback does well and what he likes to do and you incorporate it into what you do. So you'll see a lot of play action. You'll see a lot of quick game. You'll see scripted verticals. So obviously Brady is not necessarily going to drop back and, and drive 22-yard deep digs, although he's capable of doing that, by the way, but that yeah. won't be a, a yeah. pure foundation. By scripted verticals, I mean, uh, you know, fade balls, post routes. Uh, Brady can make those throws. Brady can still throw it. Um, so you'll see them play off what Brady does well and what Brady's comfortable with and then mix in what Arians likes to do, which obviously is to have a vertical element in his passing game. But I don't see this as being a problem at all. Um, you know, Greg, I'm, you know, the other – two guys that you mentioned as far as quarterbacks right now that I'm curious about, and so is everybody, you know, Cam Newton and Jameis Winston. It's easy to say, okay, New England, Jacksonville, 
and the Los Angeles Chargers. Those three teams obviously are going to get a quarterback either in the draft uh, fairly high or a veteran, or, or, and maybe you throw Randy Dalton in the mix. But it's, it's hard for me to imagine, honestly, one of those two quarterbacks going to Jacksonville with Doug Marone saying, now Gardner Minshew's our guy. Right. <laughs> but I, do you have an, a gut feeling at all uh, where the fit is best for either Winston or Cam Newton? Well, far be it for me to try to get into Bill Belichick's head, but I would not really see Jameis Winston as a fit there because the turnover factor, one of the things about Belichick that is so, so important to him is decision-making and not turning the ball over. Um, I think I heard some number with Winston that with fumbles and interceptions, I think he's had 111 since 2015, which is far more than any other quarterback in the league. And I just don't think Belichick sees the quarterback position that way. Uh, So I'd be very surprised. Uh, Cam Newton, again, no one is certain what he is at this point. Obviously, he was a freakish athlete and a huge man and could make great throws, but there was also an inconsistency to his game to some degree. Uh, He certainly is a passer, another quarterback that missed too many routine throws. So they're both NFL quarterbacks. They're both quality starting NFL quarterbacks. Now you're getting into fit. Um, Clearly, the Jaguars made a decision that they like Minshew more than Nick Foles, clearly. Uh, So... I'm just not sure if at this point they would bring in Newton or Winston. If you bring in Newton or Winston, are you bringing them in as a compete or are you bringing them in as you're my guy? That's the question. Yeah. It's a good question. I, I, uh, you know, my, my favorite uh, fit for one of those guys, believe it or not, is Jameis Winston with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I would love to see him. I'd love to see him. Uh, sit for a year and not necessarily learn from Ben Roethlisberger because I don't think Roethlisberger is necessarily going to be, you know, a, a Josh McCown type tutor. Right, right. But, but what I do think it would be interesting is to go to a successful franchise and maybe get a little bit of tough love from Mike Tomlin. And just basically learn, you know, I'm not saying the Bucks were horrendous. They, they haven't been horrendous. They, and they should have finished with a winning record last year. If Jameis didn't throw 30 picks, they would. Right, right. But, but I just, I, I'd love to see that because I can see Jameis Winston and Juju Smith-Schuster making some pretty good music together in 2021 and beyond. Now, for anybody listening to this, I've been told categorically the Steelers have no interest in Jameis Winston. Uh, you know, for, for whatever reason, but right, right. it's not going to happen. That's just what I'd like to see happen, you know, but uh, so we'll see. But I think both those guys are interesting. My, my thought really about the Patriots is I, I think Bill Belichick will take a bargain basement quarterback. If he could get Andy Dalton one year, 8 million or something like that, or 7 million and, or pick a guy in the draft. And just stick him in the quarterback room with Josh McCown, Stidham, and whether it's Cody Kessler or somebody else, uh, you know, and Brian Hoyer, obviously, you know, just stick him in there and then have him fight it out, let the best man win. And look, I think, Greg, and you know the people involved, Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, and I hate to talk about them like they're high school juniors (laughs) or or, or something, but, you know, they're they're human – just like we would be in that situation, you know, and they can see everybody writing them off. And I think they're pretty anxious to go to battle with whoever it is, whether it's Jared Stidham. And we don't know how they feel about Stidham. That's the thing. You know, they're certainly not going to tip their hand. You know, we saw what they did back in 2001 with Tom Brady, and we don't know how they feel about Jared Stidham. Yeah. Um. So let's, I want to go to wide receivers for a few minutes. Sure. Um, I'm totally interested in how you analyzed, you know, sort of, I think the three or four biggest guys atop the draft. And you put out a tweet with your, with your scouting reports 
Um, and you, you basically really, really, it seems to me, you love Jeff Judy. You really like C.D. Lamb. And you, you, you like Henry Ruggs, but not in the realm of those well, other guys. No, actually, if, if I had to make a list, and I don't normally do that, Judy, to me, would be number one easily. Yep. I just think his route running ability and his overall physical athletic traits are far and away the best in this draft class. So I think Judy, to me, is the top wide receiver in this draft class. Um, I really do like Henry Ruggs a lot. Uh, I think Ruggs is a far better route runner than people think because they see him as a speed guy. And obviously he is a speed guy. Uh, and his, he ran a four, two, eight. And I think his 10 yard split was also the fastest at the combine, but the tape tells you that we didn't need to see that at the combine. Um, CD lamb. I like, I, I watched a ton of CD lamb. I watched a ton of him in 2018. And then I watched this year and there were times I really, really liked him. And other times I just, something niggled in my brain, but he's still a very strong prospect. Um, I really like T Higgins from Clemson. Now, again, where these guys get drafted, some of them become team and scheme specific, because one of the things you always have to remember, Peter, and you know this, you talk to a lot of coaches and you know them well, is coaches think in terms of scheme adaptability. Where does that particular player fit in my offense? And with wide receiver, uh, I think that that plays out as well. Now, the game has changed to some degree where wide receivers are used more on, on jet sweeps, on orbit reverses. You look at what the 49ers did with Debo Samuel. So those kinds of things do factor into the equation depending on a particular team's offense. Um, the other wide receivers, do you believe after studying them, Greg, that the class is as deep as people say, deeper even than what's turning out to be a fantastic class in 2019? I think that it's, it's very deep. And, and now it, there'll be certain receivers, though, that will be in the eye of the beholder. So it's, as I said, it comes down to the specific team, the specific scheme. But, you know, it's very interesting, Peter. And I try to think logically about this stuff, as you know. You know, we, we've we seemingly have come to the conclusion as if it's etched in stone that running backs don't matter. Well, the New England Patriots over the last, what, decade, give or take, have been considered the sort of the class of the NFL. And yet they don't, did not have what would be considered great wide receivers. Now, Julian Edelman has turned out to be a really good player, but he was a quarterback in college. Right. So people automatically assume that running backs are irrelevant, but yet they seem to place a tremendous value on wide receivers. So again, I just find that interesting. Now, again, they had Tom Brady and that's all well and good, but wide receivers also are, are clearly scheme and team specific. And I'm very anxious to see in this particular class, how that plays out. You know what there are a lot of in this class? Big wide receivers. I'm very curious to see how the league views big wide receivers. Well, let me, let's compare this year's class to last year because I think last year's class, if you, if you started, let's just say, if, 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 you, had a, if you had a 40 pick stretch, from 36 to 76. I did this a couple of weeks ago. And it's really hard to believe if you think about between 36 and 76. Debo Samuel, who right. was one of the best players on the field in the Super Bowl. A.J. Brown of Tennessee, who I split my, uh, my Associated Press Offensive Rookie of the Year vote between Kyler Murray and A.J. Brown. Uh, then Mecole Hardman. And then DK Metcalf, and I'm skipping over a few, but DK Metcalf, he was 64, okay? Deontay Johnson, who shined some with Pittsburgh. Uh, and, and there's a guy in this draft last year who I believe is going to be a star in the NFL, and that's Jalen Hurd from Baylor. When I was in 49ers camp very early last summer, Jalen Hurd looked like the best receiver on the team. I loved him coming out, too. I really oh, liked him. Terrific receiver, big and so fluid. And then number 76, Terry McLaurin. 
you could easily argue that, that there were times, there were weeks last year where he's the best offensive rookie in the league. I mean, where he just, he blew away uh, some coverages last year. He's such a good, fluid receiver out of Ohio State. But, but I kind of look at that and I'm saying, are you guys seriously saying that this year's draft is better for wide receivers when you talk about the seven guys who I just basically talked about are? Well, and, and it's funny you say that because let's just use the example of DK Metcalf. Obviously, we know that he's big and super talented and explosive, but he was in a situation that was perfect for him. He was on a team whose foundation was the run game, who lined up with six offensive linemen more than any team in the league. Mm-hmm. So they got defenses essentially because of their offensive approach to play single high safety coverages. They put Metcalf as their X receiver, their single receiver to the short side of the field. He was often able to work one-on-one. He ran limited routes that played to what he is, and that's perfectly fine. And they used him exactly the way that he needed to be used. Uh, so, uh, so what a lot of people thought of was a weakness coming out of Ole Miss, the fact that he didn't run a large route tree, which, by the way, is a meaningless thing when, when people say that. But what was viewed as a weakness by a lot of people that's the way he was used and he was highly effective because they played to his speed versus single high safety defenses. So, uh, so much is dependent on where you go and how you get deployed. Yeah. I, and, and look, no one knows who's going where and who loves who, but you know, I was calling around the league. You'll get a kick out of this. I was calling around the league in the last, I don't know, week or so. And I have a list of maybe 10 or 12 questions that I ask a lot of general managers about movement and everything. And one of the guys I was talking about was Brandon Cooks because, look, it's no secret. He's going to make a lot of money. He's been hurt a little bit lately. Uh, and, you know, if the Rams could get a good deal, I think they'd trade him. But I don't, I, they're definitely not going to give him away because he's a very good, when healthy, he's a field-stretching factor on offense right but but anyway so the the interesting thing I kept hearing from people is okay yeah Brandon Cooks you know he's he's really good and we like Brandon Cooks but let's just say for the sake of argument that you're putting Brandon Cooks and comparing him to the receivers in this draft who are a lot cheaper and right now seemingly anyway healthier than Brandon Cooks. So whereas maybe he has value of, let's say, the 50th pick in the draft, you know, why would the Eagles trade for him and take on that contract at number 53, let's say, when they could take a real good prospect wide receiver? And there's no guarantee, but there's also, you know, he's going to be making a quarter as much money over the next three years, or maybe even less than that. Uh, than than Brandon Cooks. So, well, the only I, difference is is that yeah. Brandon Cooks is a proven commodity, yep. and you know, last year they took Arthago Whiteside right in that range. I don't remember the exact number, yep. and he turned out not to be a factor at all. So yep. I, again, different organizations have different points of view about that. Um, if you if you trade for Cooks, if you're willing to do that, you know what you're getting because he's done it in the league. We can sit here and talk all day long about this being a deep wide receiver draft class, and it is based on traits and and different shapes and sizes, but you still don't know because guys have not played in the league yet. I'm going to ask you just, we're going to go back to quarterbacks for a second. And then in our remaining couple of minutes, I want to ask you just about the weird year for the draft and what it must be like for scouts and teams. But I'm wondering, you look right now at Miami sitting there at number five and it's virtually certain, I guess not a lock, but but highly likely that Miami is going to take a quarterback, either by trading up or, or by sitting there and getting one. You have any, like if you were Chris Greer with the Dolphins, you've got Chan Gailey as your offensive coordinator, you're really building something for the long haul. Does Tua make sense there? Or would you go with a more kind of standard uh, quarterback than, than Tua? 
Well, I don't think two is not standard. I think you need to understand exactly what he is and how you're building. Um, Tua can be a very successful quarterback. As I said, I think he's very timing and rhythm based. And if that's the approach that you want to take, um, you know, I think that he fits. Uh, then it comes down to the rest of your team. You know, don't forget, Tua played with great wide receivers in college, and they ran a ton of RPOs. About 30% of their offense the last two years was RPO-based. And uh, when you can hit Judy or particularly Ruggs on a, on a slant off an RPO, and he can take it to the house, you know, in some ways it's very similar to Pat Mahomes hitting Tyreek Hill. Um, so... Uh, you know, I think Tua can fit very, very well as long as you understand what he is. Uh, so I have no problem with Tua being taken high. I don't think Tua is an exceptionally talented guy when you think of, you know, super high-level talent at the quarterback position. He does not have a big arm. But again, I don't know if you need that in the NFL these days, the way offenses have now evolved. Um, is there one player in this draft who, because I, I tend to ask you this almost every year, who do you love more than other other people, or who? And, and again, you don't you don't watch the right. list. I'm sure of it, but but who do you love that America and the world might not know very well? Well, besides the obvious ones, I'll give you one who's probably not so obvious. A uh, player I loved his tape was Trayvon Diggs, the corner from Alabama. Uh, and I know he's probably all over the board for some, uh, but I really loved his tape. I easily, in my mind, could see him, if I had to make a list, as the second Rio Kuda. Um, I loved watching Diggs. He's long, physical. He's... Uh, athletic, he's aggressive, he's competitive. Um, I think his combination of length, athleticism, fluidity, competitiveness is high level, and I really like watching his tape. Uh, Greg, what do you think this whole very odd off-season, post-combine, has been like for the scouts and the coaches around the league who you know? And do you think it's going to have a very big impact on the draft? Well, it's a tape study draft now, Peter, and, and that's where my guess is the more experienced scouting departments should do better. Guys who've been doing this for a longer period of time and have a much better feel for tape study. Uh, a lot of teams uh, have gone to younger scouts who are more what they like to call information gatherers. Uh, those guys, they just don't have a ton of experience. Uh, it's not that they're bad or at their jobs. They just don't have experience. So this to me is a tape study draft. Uh, and that's where you have to start anyway. Now, obviously there's more to it, but I think you have to start with how a guy plays football and you have to start with a sense of what traits, attributes, characteristics, you think are essential and critical for given positions within what you do on each side of the ball. And that's where you start. And then that's how you then evaluate players. Uh, that's why there was always the talk years and years that, Hey, a three, four team looks at linebackers and D linemen different than a three, four base team. So uh, it all depends on a particular team and how they view which traits are essential to what their scheme is on, on both sides of the ball. Um, you think it must be pretty strange for, for guys who are used to going to pro days, both coaches and scouts, to be sort of holed up in their house watching tape and not actually, other than maybe by Skype or, or FaceTime, actually talking to the prospects who they might pick? I would bet some guys like it more, Peter. Yeah. You know, because I bet a lot of guys feel uh, that they don't have enough time to watch tape because there's so many other demands. Uh, and again, not that you have to watch every single play of a player, but I've always been a believer that watching more tape is better than watching less. Now, I know a lot of coaches, both present coaches and former coaches, who will watch a certain number of games, usually two or three, and feel pretty comfortable with what a player is. And and maybe they're right. Um, but I always feel like watching a little bit more is better than watching a little bit less. Greg, we'll end with this. You uh, live in South Jersey. You work at NFL Films in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, maybe about 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Um, you're very uh, used to your life, as we all are, wherever we all live. 
what's it been like for you the last couple of weeks? Have you gone stir crazy sitting in your house and, and not uh, here and there? You know, I've been I've been reading a lot of books. Uh, you know, I, my my younger daughter, who's going to be 24, she still lives at home. So we've been watching movies and TV shows and. But, uh, you know, I still wake up early because that's just the way I am. So I, I do a ton of reading in the mornings. But, yeah, it's been a little crazy because uh, I just haven't been able to watch tape the way I really want to just because of our whole system at NFL Films. So uh, it's it's been a little nuts, Peter. But, hey, in the overall scheme of things, you know what? Uh, my issues are really not that important. <laughs> and do you have a book recommendation for me? What should I read? Well, I'm a big novel guy. I don't know if you're a novel guy. Um, so, you know, there's different authors that I love. I always read the new Lee Child book, Jack Reacher. That's He's one of my favorite characters. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Um, there's an author named Lou Burney. I read a book a couple of weeks ago called November Road, which I thought was really, really, really well written. I just started a book this morning by a, a, a female author out of a uh, England. Her name is Mo Hader. She's a really good writer, and uh, she has a character uh, named Jack Caffrey, and he's a he's a policeman, a murder team policeman in London. And I think she's a terrific writer. So I just I've read the first in the series. I just started the second today. Okay, I got a TV show. I'm going to tell you about. You ready? Okay. All right. I want you to at least watch one or two episodes of The Crown. Have you heard of that? I have. Okay, so it's on Netflix. It's about basically about the life and times of Queen Elizabeth. Now, my wife and I, we finished 29 episodes. We gotta, we're probably going to watch number 30 tonight. And, and that's the end of season three. I love television shows and books that take you right into an era of history that you really don't know that well. And well, it's funny because the, what I'm rewatching with my younger daughter now, and we, we've watched it before, but I love it. We're rewatching the series Friday Night Lights. Did you watch that? Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, we're rewatching re that. It's, it's just so good. So, you know, it's, uh, hey, it, at this time, you just try to get through every day and, and keep smiling, you know, and just hope you're healthy. Yeah. Hey, Greg Cosell, really, really appreciate it. I said I would keep you 15 minutes. I kept you 35, and you didn't even hang up on me, so thank oh, you. Oh, Peter, for you, anything, you know that. Thank you. Hey, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk before the draft. Okay, Peter, thanks so much. My thanks to Matt Ryan and to Greg Cosell uh, for their exceedingly uh, intelligent conversations, uh, both on life and on football. My thanks to both. Anyway, thanks so much for listening this week. Uh, I hope wherever you are, you're being safe um, and you're socially distant and uh, you, you have a lot of respect for the rules. Now, we're not a society that always pays attention to the rules, but I think it's best for everybody right now that we listen to the smart people around us, you know, the doctors, uh, the experts, and uh, the people who know what infectious diseases can do. Um, and anyway, enjoy your football week. Enjoy learning a little bit about the draft. I know I'm gonna be studying a lot of it this week in preparation for my column next Monday. I really appreciate you listening this week. Good luck and best of health to everyone out there.